Amen. Um, that's part of our Blessing Bonanza Week, as I told you, that we've been going on. Uh, we did this last Christmas as well. Uh, literally, that's probably like one, you know, one hundredth of everything that's gone on this week. It's to uh, give you a little snippet. Uh, but as I told you, we connected with uh, social workers, local organizations, um, child protective services, different places, and we asked, you know, how can we bless what, what families might need it most this season? Uh, and so we got, got that information. We were able to go uh, not only bless homes, uh, we were able to bless Sarah, who's uh, somebody here at this church and who's a blessing to City Light. Uh, and a single mom just been really working really hard to provide for her kids. And she serves the Lord so well here. And so we were able to pay off her student loans, which enables her to really free up her life for the future. Uh, and so it is no, no exaggeration, you know, for her to say that City Light's a part of changing her future and the future of her children, uh, which we're glad to participate in. Another one of the girls that you saw uh, was somebody who got saved at a Young Lives camp, which is a camp for teen moms, uh, this summer, and her baby recently got dedicated at Ciudad Luz, uh, just like we did here, and so we were able to partner with her. And, and another one of those examples, I could do this all day, but I just want you to know how, how the Lord is working. Uh, one of the social workers of a local school uh, gave us this family, and she told us this, that she worries about this family more than any other in the entire school. She worries about them the most. Uh, and that was the one that, that we were able to bless. You saw the most video on, on that. Uh, and so I just want you to know whether it's uh, local homes around, the, around here, uh, local families, uh, also organizations like local schools. The Carolina at the end is our parent liaison at Falls Church High School, and she just serves the community so well and has been an amazing partner. Uh, and so organizations, Hope Pregnancy Center, or local homes and families, uh, whatever it might be, whatever need might be there, the Lord has really been able to uh, use your generosity to go out into the world and show the love of Jesus. And so it's been a, a remarkable week. There will be one more video that you'll see next week to give you more of an idea of what's been going on. And I just want you to know uh, that God is using your generosity, your time, your, your commitment, uh, your money, all those different things to be able to bless our city, to bless the world around us in real life-transforming, significant ways uh, that people would not only hear about the love of Jesus, but that they would see it and feel it uh, through each one of you. And so I just want you to know what's going on, and I hope that you're encouraged uh, by what the Lord is doing around here. Yesterday as well, uh, man, this is, that feels like the announcement block, but I have just so many things going on. I can't, I can't not be excited, excited about this. Yesterday, uh, if you were here, probably many of you were. We had so many of you serving. We had our Christmas store, uh, which is our event that we do each Christmas to help provide uh, gifts for parents to be able to provide for their children uh, who have kind of fallen on a hard time so that they don't have uh, empty Christmas trees and so that they're able to provide gifts for their children. And so many of them actually made decisions for Christ. We shared the gospel in the co-working room here. Uh, uh, and there was many that put their faith in Jesus. And then the kids had an amazing time decorating cookies and playing. And the parents were able to pick out gifts for their children. Uh, and it was just a real blessing, once again, for our community, through your generosity, through your time commitment. Uh, and so that was an amazing blessing yesterday. Uh, and that's just to give you a little picture. You know, maybe you didn't see any of that. Just so you know, everything that's going on uh, Monday, especially Monday through Saturday, uh, through what God's doing here at City Light. And we pray that we'll continue to be able to do that. I also shared last week that there would be a few opportunities today that I would begin to present to you about generosity in December. Uh, and so I want to share with you three different things that we're aiming to build or do uh, so that, that, um, that we can kind of produce next year. And so the first is uh, one of our partners internationally called La Roca Ministries. A few of you actually went on that trip. It was our first missions trip this summer. Uh, they do an amazing job. Basically anything you can imagine that should be done at orphanages or working with prostitutes or red light 
my district or uh, employing uh, homeless people, doing all these different things, and obviously sharing the gospel and building a church. Uh, they are looking to build a community center church, kind of like what we talk about all the time, and they need a place for that. And so we're going to be able to partner with them. It's about $75,000 to do something like that over there, and that's going to dramatically transform their ability to serve their city and their community. Uh, and they're just already doing a million things for Jesus. And so that's one thing. The second thing is a restoration house that we are working on now to be able to support and provide housing for women that come out of vulnerable situations. So whether it's trafficking, abuse, whatever it might be, uh, we're looking at $50,000 to be able to commit to that and to be able to begin to release that kind of into the world to get the space uh, and to be able to have a full-time caretaker live there to supply their needs. And so that's the second thing we're looking to do. And then the third thing is the preschool that we want to continue to work on and support and build uh, that we want to build here here at City Light. And so next January, we start a pilot program uh, with four and five-year-olds. And so if you weren't aware of that yet, there's still space. And so if you would like to consider possibly putting your child in there uh, for some educational and spiritual formation, you can please talk to Valerie. But we're running the pilot program in January. That'll run through the first semester. And then hopefully over that time, we'll be able to build everything we need to officialize it and make it permanent and obviously resource it as needed. And so those are three ways that tangible ways that we're really hoping to expand the gospel, to bless people, to care for people, body and soul, both locally and abroad. And so the the good news with all of that is we've had a donor, a very generous donor, promise a $100,000 match for anything that we raise above and beyond this December. And so if we're able to go ahead and provide and bless, if you have any extra maybe during this season as you close the year out, I mean, this is the time because if we're able to match that gift, that's going to be just enough money to provide for those three things that are ideas right now, but they'll be realities next year if we're able to come together to do that. And so I want to encourage you uh, this season that we're really on the precipice of being able to do some wonderful things uh, for our city and for the world around us. And so please jump in to go above and beyond this December. Let's make that $100,000 match and let's be able to build these resources and these places to be able to serve people throughout the world. And, and so that's, that's the encouraging news with that. And I hope that you're motivated and inspired. Man, every time that we're giving and committed to what God is doing here, uh, people's lives are being changed and their futures are, are changing both for the better. Uh, and so I hope that your heart's encouraged. I know mine is. That's the kind of work we came here to do. I always told you all the time, we didn't come here to run more services. Falls Church doesn't need more services. There's lots of churches. Uh, we need a place where people live on mission for Jesus, and we need people who come and decide to make a difference in the community around them. And we run a service, we say it all the time, as a launching pad. This place is not a landing place. You don't just come here, land, hang out for an hour, go do your thing all week and land here. We hope uh, that you launch out from here to go actually make a real difference in the world around you, just like Jesus would want us to, uh, to care for the needs of those around us, both body and soul. This is what we came to do and what we exist for. And I think the Lord is doing that, and he wants to do that in continually greater measure uh, as we continue to grow. And so uh, I'm encouraged that what we came here to do, the Lord is allowing us to do in many parts, and I hope that you're encouraged with that as well. I know some of these things I get to see and hear about all the time. You know, this is what I do all the time. Uh, and some of these things you don't get to know about as much. So I just want to put them all before you and take a good 10-minute chunk of my message. Uh, just to put that in front of you, to encourage your heart, and also to call you uh, to generosity so that we continue to bless the world around us. Everybody in on that? All right, all right. I hope I'm not talking to myself. Okay, great, great. So today uh, we're finishing Ruth in chapter four. So open your Bible to Ruth chapter four. Let's go. Okay, we're excited to be in the word of God this morning. Uh, Remember as we're reflecting on the book of Ruth, we're considering the concept of going from bitter to better as we learn how God works in the world through the book of Ruth and then how that could possibly apply to my life. 
As we learn about how God works in one season, we can guarantee that he'll work in similar ways in another season because God doesn't change. And so as we learn principles of how God works in the world then, you can pick those up and apply them to your life now, and it's gonna help you go from bitter to better when you better understand how God might be working in your life. And so as we celebrate Christmas and what Jesus came to do, we want to celebrate the implications of that as to what does it mean for your life for your eternity, and for your life on an everyday basis now. And so we're closing out with Ruth chapter four, just to catch everybody up, especially maybe if you're new or if you missed a couple weeks. Uh, Ruth is the story, at first, of a lady named Naomi, and she was married to Elimelech. She had two sons. They moved from Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine. Her husband and her two sons die. She's left with two daughter-in-laws. One's named Ruth. Ruth decides to come back with her to her homeland, Bethlehem. When they get back, they're hungry. They have nobody to care for them, so Ruth goes to a field. She begins to glean uh, to provide food. She meets a man named Boaz who owns the field. Uh, And so then she comes back home, and in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth come up with a plan to basically woo Boaz and to encourage him uh, to take her under his wings. So she basically goes and proposes to him. Uh, Boaz receives this proposal favorably, and then he has one small problem, though, which is where we left off last week, was that in the line of Elimelech, the closest relative is not Boaz. And so there's one guy in the way who has the rights to everything uh, Elimelech had, his land and his people, before Boaz could possibly take it up and pursue that. And so we left last week on the edge of our seats saying, okay, uh, Ruth must wait and see how this all works out. And we learned and we talked about what does it look like to wait on the Lord. And so I hope that you've listened to that and that your heart is encouraged to wait in these seasons. So here we pick up Ruth chapter four. Now the action is beginning. How is Boaz going to solve this problem? And what is the rest of the story going to unfold? So Ruth chapter four, verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer... So the first guy of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then he took 10 men of the elders of the city. And he said to them, sit down here. So they sat down. And hello, you should read the Bible like this. This guy has no idea what's going on. You know, can you imagine? He's like, sit down. And he's like, give me these 10 guys and y'all sit down. And the guy's gotta be like, what in the world? What are you about to do to me? And so verse three, then he said to the guy, the redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it, which is first bad news. But Boaz has a plan. Then Boaz said, he left out this information, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. So this is much more than buying a field, okay? This is a, this is a very well-included uh, situation here. It's complicated. So verse six, then the redeemer said upon hearing this news, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. And everybody has a sigh of relief now knowing that Boaz has a straight shot uh, to this relationship with Ruth. And so we're gonna stop right there for a second as we sort through these few chapters. And what I want you to see today is a few things, but namely, how do I know about God's blessing and work in my life? What does it mean to be blessed by God? And how do I navigate God's blessing or lack thereof or my misunderstanding of it in my life? How do I know that God is blessing 
me and working in my life. And so I wanna give you the perspective of Ruth and Boaz and everybody in this story because we have the benefit of seeing the whole story from the beginning to the end. And what I also wanna remind you of as we unfold this passage is Boaz is a shadow or a type that gives us a representation of who Jesus the Messiah will be. So Boaz, as we've said, is the little R redeemer and Jesus is the capital R redeemer. Theologically, what we see in Boaz is a shadow of the substance of what Jesus will be. This is helpful to you because as you read Ruth, you can now read it with the perspective of who Jesus is because how Boaz responds and acts as a redeemer gives us an idea of how Jesus will respond and act as our redeemer. So as Boaz moves and does his thing, we learn exactly what does it look like for Jesus to move and do his thing, and that way it applies very directly into your life now. So here's the first blessing. The first blessing is this, the blessing of knowing that God is working. As we said last week, Ruth has done all she can do. It is out of her hands, and now it's in the hands of Boaz. Now Boaz is actively trying to solve this dilemma. What I want you to see from this is that not only was Boaz active, but also this is true for Jesus. Jesus is active in your life, not passively watching your life. Jesus is actively resolving and working things out. Even if you can't see it, he is not passively waiting to see how things happen. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus is involved, and this is something you must know for certain, even if you can't see it or feel it, because you might mistake the blessing of God for God's absence While when it feels like God is absent, it is in the very place that he is working. You need to understand that the blessing of God is knowing that God is working. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he is actively working things together for your good. He is defending your cause. He is initiating the action. He is talking to other people about you that you didn't know that they need to be talked about about you. He is sorting things out around you that you have no idea how to figure out. Jesus is actively working in your life whether you see it or not. And the blessing is knowing and having confidence in this truth. The blessing is knowing that God is working. I don't have to question whether God is working. I don't have to question whether Jesus is actively involved in my life. I don't have to question whether he's hit the pause button. I don't have to question whether he cares. I can know without a doubt that just like Boaz, Jesus even more so, when I have an issue and a problem, Jesus is actively working in my life. I can know this. And so that's part of the blessing that you need to receive this morning. Now, as we think about Boaz as the little R redeemer and Jesus as the capital R, one of the things that we learn from here is the necessity of this courtroom scene. It's like a courtroom scene, basically. The front of the gate was like a legal setting to handle real legal business. And one of the things we'll learn for our lives is this, is that redemption requires litigation. Redemption requires litigation. There is an issue and it must be sorted out. Now, in this situation, the issue was uh, Ruth, the land, Boaz wanting to marry Ruth, take the land, there being another guy in the way. And so therefore, this situation required litigation. For Boaz to redeem Ruth, it means he had to litigate on her behalf. He had to defend her cause, and he had to show up to the court to be able to help her out. And I want you to know on an even greater scale, there is a courtroom in the scene of heaven, and God stands as judge, and there is an issue that must be sorted out. 
The issue is the fact that you and I, as the Bible says, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The issue is that we stand condemned before God because of our sin. The issue is that we have rebelled against God. The issue is that we have not loved God. The issue is that we have not followed God's way and God's will. The issue is that we don't want God. And then we stand before God, and now there's an issue that needs to be sorted out. But just like Ruth... She was powerless in this moment. The only person who could fix it was Boaz, her redeemer. And so it will be on the day of judgment with you that you will be powerless in that moment. And the only person that can fix it is Jesus, your redeemer. I want to ask you, are you ready for the courtroom of heaven? Because your redemption doesn't need nice feelings or good positive thoughts. Your redemption requires litigation. You need a defense. And better than that, you need a defender. Because when you stand before God, just like Ruth, you will be powerless to defend your cause. It will be completely and utterly out of your hands. And as a matter of fact, you will be found guilty before him because of your sin. There is a courtroom in heaven, and we will all find ourselves there before God as judge. And the only solution is to have Jesus our Redeemer. Are you ready for that? Because going to church is not going to be a good defense. Trying to be a nice person is not going to be a good defense. Trying to do more good things than bad things is not going to be a good defense. Saying the rosary is not going to be a good defense. Serving the poor, not going to be a good defense. Giving your money away, not going to be a good defense. Trying your hardest just to be a nice person, not going to be a good defense. The only defense that's possible is if Jesus steps in and says, I will defend you. There is a courtroom in the scene of heaven. And are you ready? Because you need Jesus to do some litigation on your behalf. Now, the beauty of this is it's not up for grabs because Jesus already did the work. He died on the cross and he solved your sin problem. He rose from the grave and he lives today. He lived a perfect life so that you have nothing, that you have no blame left if you believe and trust in him. So if you put your faith in Jesus now, you will be ready for that day of litigation. But if you wait till the courtroom of heaven, it will be too late. You need a redeemer, and your redemption requires litigation, and the only proper defender is Jesus. Would you put your hope and trust in him today? What I also want you to see from this, this is wonderful, is that only Jesus can handle everything that is included in your redemption. Look at this. So the guy's like, cool, I'll take the field. Great. Make some money, bear some crops. Cool. And then Boaz is like, well, the field comes with Ruth, and Ruth is from Moab, we hate people from Moab, right? You know, that's what he's saying. They're their enemies. Ruth's from Moab. Yuck. You know, that's what he's saying. You don't want that. And, you know, she's got her mother-in-law, Naomi. So you have to begin to take care of them. They're going to start to drain your resources. And, as a matter of fact, you have to perpetuate her lineage. So you need to go ahead and marry her and have children. And he's like, well, that is a lot more than buying a field. And he says, real quickly, that's too much. I can't handle that. That's way too much. But Boaz says it's not too much for me. Here's what I want you to understand about your life and where you're putting your trust and your hope is that only Jesus can handle everything that is included in your redemption. Because it may be too much for them, but it's not too much for him. Only Jesus can handle everything that is included with you. All of your mistakes all of your regrets, 
all of your struggles, all of your insecurities, all of your problems, all of your burdens. Nobody in the world can handle everything that comes with you, but Jesus can. And not only can he, but he wants to. This is the good news. Jesus says, bring your regrets to me. I can handle it. Bring your sins to me, all of them, even the worst ones. I can handle it. Bring your burdens to me, all of them. I can handle it. Bring your depression to me. I can handle it. Bring your anxiety to me. I can handle it. Bring your mistakes to me. I can handle it. Bring your finance to me. I can handle it. Bring your, bring your bad words and bad decisions and bad thoughts. Bring them all to me. I can handle it. Bring it to me and I can handle it. This is what Jesus is telling you this morning. It may be too much for them. You know what? It's too much for your spouse. They can't handle everything that is required to bless you, save you, deliver you, and heal you. Stop asking them. It's too much for your children. They can't handle Handle everything that is required for that. It's too much for your boss. It's too much for your friend. It's too much for money to do. It's too much for drink to do. It's too much for the internet to do. Nothing in the world, even the people you love the most, can handle everything that is necessary to include all of your life and to handle everything that comes with your redemption. Nobody else can. It's too much for them, but it's not too much for him. It's too much for them, and you keep asking. It's too much for your spouse. They can't be your satisfaction. Stop asking. It's too much for your boss. His promotion can't make you feel better about yourself. Stop asking. It's too much. No matter how much money you make, you'll never be happy. Stop asking. It's too much. Your therapist can't resolve all your issues. It's too much. And then what do you do with all your sins and all your thoughts and problems and mistakes? Who's going to take care of that? You? No. No. It's too much. And that's exactly what this guy says, and that's exactly what everyone in the world would say to you, which is bad news until capital R Redeemer steps in. And he says it may be too much for them, but it's not too much for him. I wonder who you're trusting to save and to deliver and to satisfy and to bless and to heal and to make you whole. Because if it's not Christ, then it's never going to work. It's too much for them. But it's not too much for him. Would you put your hope and your trust in Christ this morning as your capital R Redeemer? Verse seven, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and he gave it to the other. I love reading stuff like this. Like, what? Seriously? Like, this is how? This was the manner of attesting in Israel. It's like, you go back with one sandal and did you hop on the way home? Did your foot just get dirty? I don't understand. And it's like when you lose the other sock, it's worthless. Like, this sandal doesn't even work. You might as well give both sandals. Why are you just giving one? Anyways, okay, this is what your pastor thinks when he's reading the Bible sometimes. Uh, so verse eight, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, hey, buy it yourself, you know? He's like, this is too much for me. Buy it yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. 
May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. We're going to stop here. I just want to make one simple, very short point, is that it is the covenant of Boaz that is the concrete to establish Ruth's life. It is not Ruth or anything that she can do. It is the will, the commitment, and the decision, and the covenant of Boaz, the Redeemer. And so it is with you and me. We see this picture of Jesus that it is not what you can pull off or how well you can establish your future or the things that you can manipulate in your life or the things you can control. None of those things matter because it's the covenant that Christ makes between God and you that provides the concrete upon which you establish your life. It's the covenant that Jesus has made through his life, death, and resurrection where he says, I will take this person, their burdens, their sins, everything that comes with that person. I don't say this in a high feeling. This is not like a high in a moment. This is not infatuation. This is a covenant. I take everything that's included with this person and I covenant before God to redeem, to restore, to heal, to provide, and to rescue. And it is the covenant that Boaz makes that secures Ruth's future, which is totally out of her hands. And it is the covenant that Jesus makes that secures your future. Jesus has not gotten infatuated with you. He has made a covenant to you. Jesus is committed, and that will never, ever change. And it's the commitment and the covenant of Jesus that provides the concrete to establish your life. And some of you are trying to follow Jesus backwards where you think it's your willpower to wake up and read the Bible and it's your commitment to serve at events with the poor and it's these things that I do to keep my covenant with God. All the while you're burning yourself out and you're killing yourself and you're not finding any joy in your relationship with Jesus. And he says it's the other way. It's my covenant that establishes your faith, not your covenant with me, but my covenant with you. It's the commitment of Jesus. What is it? One of my favorite verses says, he remains faithful. Even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He's a covenant-keeping God. He will not lie. And if he has said he will do it, he will do it. And there is no other way around it. And so now I want your faith to be secure, not in your ability to follow Jesus, but in God's ability to keep you. He has made a covenant with you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, now this doesn't negate your responsibility, you hear me. Some of you are still outside of the family of God and today you need to put your faith in Christ. You need to believe and choose to follow Jesus today and repent from your sins and trust him. But as you walk with the Lord, it is his covenant with you. It is his commitment to you that secures your future and establishes your faith. Stop leaning on your own willpower, how well you've been doing to feel good with God and know that God is good with you because of a covenant he made, not because of how well you did last week. God is committed to you through Christ. You need to hold on to that. Let that be the concrete for your faith. So verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. She's given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child, and she laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father David. I want you to notice something from this passage that's very significant. Remember, Ruth was married to Malon for 10 years, and she never had a child. Assuming here that her womb was barren in this season, and she was unable to have children. So she's married to Malon for 10 years, and she doesn't have children. She's married to Boaz for 10 seconds, and she has a child. Isn't that strange, you know? Here's the second blessing. The first blessing uh, that we looked at was the blessing of knowing God is working. The second blessing is this, the blessing of trusting God's timing. You must consider this for your life, that a door that she felt like was closed was opened in God's timing. And God's timing was perfect. And we get to see that by the fact that it resulted in having a child that was the grandfather of King David from whom the line of the Messiah Jesus would come. And if she had had children earlier, probably when she wanted to, she would not have been a part of this part of the story. Barren for 10 years so that she could have a child at just the right time. This is the blessing of trusting God's timing. This is how often God works in the world. And do we make any promise that it's going to work out exactly that way? Of course not. I don't know exactly how God's timing is going to work out, how long this season will last, or what his solution will be like for you. I don't know. But I do know that you can find and receive and walk in the blessing of trusting God's timing, that everything God does is perfect. It's perfect how he does it, and it's perfect when he does it. And if he has closed the door for a season, it's so that he can open one when it's right. He is not even saying no to you or neglecting you. He is moving you along in his perfect timing. I want you to walk in the blessing of God's timing. His timing is perfect. And his timing is so that he can include you in his wonderful plan. Here's another thing for you to consider from this. You must remember that Naomi, when she showed up in chapter one to her homeland, and she probably was with some of these same women that are there with her now, uh, she says, listen, don't call me, you know, sweet, call me bitter. And she says, I went away full and I came back empty. And so now Naomi shows up in chapter one like I'm empty and bitter. And she's saying this to these women. Then you get all the way to chapter four, you see the story begin to unfold. And what was once a place of emptiness became a place of fullness. What was once a thing of bitterness became something of beauty. And you get to see the whole picture unfold before these women who probably heard her say the first thing and are now there to see this restoration in the grandson and are there to prophesy and to say the next thing, that the Lord has been gracious to you. Here's one thing I want you to understand about seasons of emptiness and lack, where you may even feel like, as Naomi said, the hand of the Lord has come against me. This, that being empty means there's opportunity to be filled up. And this isn't half glass full thinking. This isn't positive Nate talking. This is the word of God. And this is how God works in the world. That being empty and her season of emptiness was the very thing that created the gap that God could fill with his blessing. 
So if you sense a season of emptiness or in a season of brokenness and emptiness, I want you to have the perspective of God that he loves to provide, to bless, and to fill you up. He is the good shepherd. Psalm 23.1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack or I shall not want. To be empty means there's an opportunity to be filled up. I pray that your faith is encouraged this morning, not with motivational talk, but with the character of God. That he loves to fill up, to bless, to heal, and to make whole his children. That's what he came to do. If he really went to the cross for you, do you think he would neglect your good now? Of course not. So if if you're in a season of emptiness, just know that that means there's an opportunity to be filled up. So we go from better to better by trusting God's plan for our good to do it just this way. So here's how the the chapter ends. Here's how the book ends with a genealogy. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now you may be saying, that's a terrible way to end a book, you know? I thought there would be like a, ha, you know, and the Lord is faithful, exclamation point. Uh, or some sort of phrase, or like, you end the book on a genealogy, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Now, if you've been here the whole time, you probably know that this is the best way to end the book. This is the exclamation point about the faithfulness of God. Because as we've been discussing the whole time, Obed, who is Ruth's son, is the grandfather of King David, from whom the line of Jesus the Messiah would come. So now Ruth is included, you'll see this in Matthew 1.5, in the genealogy of Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is the bow that ties the whole book together. And this is exactly what the writer of the, the book is doing, to say, I want to zoom out and give you some perspective. All this crazy stuff that happened in their life, God was orchestrating unto this end, that Obed would come and he'd father Jesse. Jesse would come and he'd father David. And through the line of David, I would send a savior so that many children could become children of God, so that God could be the ultimate father for us. This is what he is doing throughout the whole book. This is the point of us knowing the whole thing from the beginning to the end and so that you could see the way the scriptures tie all this together. And here's what I want you to understand because this is very important because I don't want you to misread the book. And thinking that, okay, now Naomi uh, has a grandson, awesome. Ruth has a child, awesome. They have security, things like things are really worked out. That must be nice. I'm glad the whole story worked out. But here's what you must remember. As far as we know, nobody told, God didn't tell Naomi and Ruth. They had no idea, no idea that Obed would father Jesse and Jesse would father David. They didn't know that. All they knew was God gave them a son right now. They had no idea that they were playing this hugely significant role in the redemption of the world. So they didn't have that information. You must also remember that Naomi still lost her husband and her two children. You don't just replace a child with another one. Right? That's not how this works. It's not like, oh, okay, well, she got this grandson, so everything feels good now. No. And this is how we misread the end of Job. I don't know how many of you have read the book of Job, but Job loses, like, everything in the beginning of the story. He goes through this horrible time where he's talking to the Lord, trying to figure it out. At the end of the story, the Lord blesses him with double what he had in the beginning, but we misread it to think, well, that just makes up for everything that he lost. As if he doesn't still grieve the wife and children he lost at first. As if Naomi still doesn't wake up crying at night, wondering why the Lord allowed her husband and her two sons to die. You see what I'm saying? 
Here's the mistake we make to think, well, everything works out in the end while I'm here on earth. Now, it certainly works out in heaven. Yes, that place is perfect. Nothing wrong there. And so yes and amen to that. But here on this earth, I don't want you to have this understanding that the blessing of God means that I can see how that's working or that my life ends with a nice kind of bow tie on it. Because yes, there's a blessing of a grandson. And yes, this grandson is going to lead towards this amazing end of a savior of a world. But they don't know that, and they still have to grieve the loss of these significant people in their life every day. So, with that in mind, the question becomes, what's the real blessing? What's the blessing? If she has a grandson, which is a great blessing, but she still has to grieve so much that she lost, what's the real blessing here? She doesn't know how God's working in her life. She doesn't know how this is all going to turn out. Here's the blessing, and here's something for you to consider and should hopefully change the way you receive and walk in the blessing of God. The blessing is simply participating in what God is orchestrating. The blessing that God wants you to walk in in your life is not that a nice bow tie would end your life, that everything would work out towards that end, that you'd look back and say, wow, everything's good now. I'm so glad I'm not even worried about the things that I lost or all that stuff anymore. That's not it. The blessing of God is not that you would see how it's all working out or that he would give you information. You know 0.1% of everything that God is using your life for and doing in your life and, and all that. You don't know most of it, and he's not even going to tell you right now. You know as much as you need to know. But now you say, well, okay, the blessing then must be this. It's just participating. I get to be a participant in what God is doing in the world. And for all of eternity, I will be able to enjoy and see the fruit of that. That's the blessing that God has put on my life. That even in my pain, I'm participating in what God is orchestrating. Even in my loss, I get to participate in what God is orchestrating. Even in my grief, I'm participating in what God is orchestrating. Romans 8.28 is true, and it's always true that God is working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The blessing on your life is not that you could tie a nice bow around it at the end of your life. You look back and say, oh, things really worked out. The blessing on your life is that every single day you get the privilege of participating in what God is orchestrating. And if you can see by eyes of faith that God is working, and if you can trust with a heart of faith, God's timing is perfect. Then you can live every day knowing that today is significant, the Lord is enough, what I'm doing today matters, and that there's things happening around me and in me and through me that I'll never understand until the other side of heaven. The blessing of my life today is that I get the privilege to participate. Let God orchestrate. You just participate. You're trying too much to orchestrate, and that's why you're so frustrated. God wants to give you the blessing of participating, not the blessing of knowing everything, not the blessing of feeling great all the time, not the blessing of orchestrating and controlling your own life, not the blessing of any of that, which is the blessing you're looking for and that you think God might want to give you. No, no, no. God wants to give you the blessing of participating in what God is orchestrating. And for all of eternity, you'll be able to bear the fruit of that and enjoy it. So the blessing is knowing that God is working. He is actively involved in your life. The blessing is trusting God's timing. His timing is perfect. And the blessing is participating in what God is orchestrating. Because here's the whole summary of the book of Ruth. And here's the whole summary of what God does in the gospel. Is that what started in emptiness with famine, loss, and death ended in abundance. What started in loss 
ended with new life coming into the world. What started with uncertainty ended with assurance. Okay, God is doing something. What started with hopelessness ended in hopefulness. Okay, the Lord is faithful. What started bitterly ended beautifully. And that's exactly what happens when a redeemer steps in. And if you want your emptiness to turn into abundance, then you need Jesus, your redeemer. If you want your loss to turn into new life with him, then you need Jesus, your redeemer. If you want your uncertainty to turn into assurance that God loves me, then you need Jesus, your redeemer. If you want your hopelessness to turn into hopefulness, you need Jesus, your redeemer. And if you want the things that are bitter to turn into something beautiful for you, then you need Jesus, your redeemer capital R, Redeemer. And this is exactly who God wants to be for you today. This is exactly who God was for them. This is exactly how God revealed himself in sending his son, Jesus, which we celebrate this Christmas. And this is exactly who God will always be. And so would you put your faith in Christ today? If you are here today and you haven't done that yet, I plead with you to turn from your sin and to trust him. Nobody else can handle everything that's included with your redemption. Stop trying and put your faith in him. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, you're celebrating Christmas and remembering Jesus, I want to encourage you to renew and to put your faith in Christ, to trust his timing, to trust his working, to trust his plan, and to remember that because God sent Jesus, he fulfilled his promise, and I can trust him to fulfill all his promises for me. Let me pray, and let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the book of Ruth. Thank you for the clarity it gives us on how you're working, even when we are confused or unsure, even in pain, loss, and grief. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into the world. We celebrate that this Christmas. Thank you for orchestrating the coming of Jesus through these other crazy events. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, for being our refuge and redeemer. Thank you, Lord, that you say to us, just bring it. Give me everything you got. I'll take care of it. I pray that we would all find our rest and our refuge in you, that we would all find our redemption in you, that we would all be ready for that courtroom in heaven with you as our defender and redeemer. Lord, this is the promise you've given us this Christmas, Lord, that every promise you ever make is good and true. I pray that you would give strength to your people and that you would encourage us this morning to trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.